<laughs> We're here with uh, Mayor Nancy McFarlane, and you're, the race is different this time around because um, there's a Republican and a Democrat challenging you. Yeah. And you identify as unaffiliated, and I think in a low information and uh, in a low turnout election such as this, uh, maybe our audience and our listeners and people in general are sort of confused as how that whole thing works. Well, I registered as independent when I was 18, when I registered to vote, and never changed it because I didn't really ever plan on running for I mean, I didn't really see the need because to me, it was all about, I mean, I was going to vote for who I thought was the right person or whose values aligned with mine or whose platform or whatever. And so, you know, it is technically a nonpartisan race. When you go to vote, there's no D or R anything by your name. And, um, you know, I had been endorsed in the past by the Democratic Party because that's where I was more closely aligned with most of my policies, um, a lot of environmental uh, concerns. And, you know, having been on the council for 10 years and been the mayor for six, I've always focused on leading the council in a nonpartisan way. And because it's really, if you can focus on what's best for the city, you don't get caught in these battles like you do in Washington or the state where everybody's lined up behind their party line. I mean, my most conservative Republican made the motion to update our LGBTQ language. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that that's kind of what the rest of the editorial said as well. And then I would just want to uh, give you what the Indy said about you. Uh -huh. Just a little snippet here. Okay. It's It seems to me more flattering. And I oh, think okay. I think you'll you'll like it too. But let me just read it for you verbatim. Okay. Okay. Does the city government have room to improve? Absolutely. But has it gone completely off the rails? Not by a long shot. As the saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There you go. So <laughs> with that being said, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and and just give me your, your pitch. Okay. And your background, too. Oh. Um, okay. We'll get into that. I'm Nancy McFarlane, and I am uh, have lived in Raleigh since 1984, and um, I have three children that are grown, but two of them still live here. I'm a pharmacist by background, worked in a, a Raleigh, was Raleigh Community Hospital, um, now it's Duke Raleigh Hospital, and then in 2002, I started my own company, which is a specialty pharmacy that did infusion therapies in the home for certain chronic disease states usually how, how did you identify that particular niche to go into um, business because not not only are you a healthcare um, practitioner and professional but you're you're quite an accomplished businesswoman well thank you um you know it really was i was working at the hospital and um i, I really every day when i went home i was so happy i had three healthy children i mean i felt really really fortunate kind of like you can handle anything else. That's just so overwhelming, seeing patients in the hospital. And also it was, um, you know, it was the mid-80s, and uh, we started seeing AIDS patients, and it was people were terrified. Nobody knew what it was. I mean, it was just a very tumultuous time. And so I started, th because I, I had children, I started thinking about, you know, if I had a child with a chronic disease and I needed 
pharmacy help all the time. What would I want the pharmacy to do? And the answer was everything. So we kind of called it the mom model. I built the business around not just being the pharmacy that got the drug to your house, but also providing the nursing, dealing with your insurance, keeping up with your doctor. We would A one-stop shop. Yeah. So we would send a, you know, for the kids with hemophilia, we would send a nurse to the school and they would talk to the teacher and if they had a school nurse and they'd say, you know, if he cuts his pa- finger on a piece of paper, he's probably not going to bleed to death. But if he falls off the monkey bars, that's when you got to call somebody because he's probably bleeding internally and you don't know it. So it was just so everybody kind of knew what was going on. The parents felt better. The kids felt better. The school, uh, it was just lots of different little interactions like that. And the business really took off. It did. We um, uh, started it with a second on my house and never got it. You leveraged yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Just bootstrapped it. Never got any venture money or anything. Just did it within. Just It grew really slowly at first. And it, Can we back up for one yeah. second? Because I didn't know that. I mean, that's very, that's, I'm, I'm happy you shared that information. <laughs> oh, I, I just kind of assumed you were well like very well off and you're able to oh heck no okay, <laughs> okay. oh no okay. no i mean let me tell you there, if there's anything that prepares you for being a mayor or anything it, it's sitting at your computer on friday and you've got employees to pay you know the first time i hired my first employee i was terrified because it was like oh my god i'm responsible for somebody's livelihood and you know we had times where okay i have to pay the employees i have to pay health insurance what bills can I pay and still have enough money and try to figure out when I'm getting reimbursed? Because when you're dealing with insurance companies, you never know really when you're going to get reimbursed. So, it, you know, there was a lot of that balancing. But I think the responsibility of actually, you know, holding that like in your hands for people's lives, I feel that for the city too, you know, that that so did did you divest yourself from the business? Did we, you sell it to another company? We did. We sold it in 2014. Okay. So right now you're full, you, I, you well, don't have a day job. I am a full-time mayor and a grandmother. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm full-time mayor, which technically it's part-time, but it's not. It's pretty full-time. That's, that. you know, it's interesting because I have... I think it is very applicable, and I've talked a lot about it a lot, especially with small business and how we do small business outreach. Because when I started my business, I mean, I didn't know, you know, do I need permits? You know, what do I really need? And, um, you know, for people that are either starting a small business in Raleigh or are trying to expand the business, you know, if there's people out there that do, you know, they can help do business plans or help figure out figure out financing and all that stuff. And we know permitting and we know zoning laws. So let's put it all in one place. And we do have a reference and a um, place you can go that really references all that so you're not running all over the place. And it is the same to me with development services. You know, we try to consolidate that so we don't send you off to fire inspections and you have to wait or we don't send you off to something else. And it's not perfect, but to me, I mean, the city services are customer service, which is what my business was. So uh, back to the the business of the city, Um, Mm -hmm. how how much are you compensated? Oh, I think I'm up to $20,000 a year now. And the the council members are And a parking pass. You do get a parking pass. (laughs) That's sweet. The, The council members 
get about, about 14, 50, yeah, 14 15. 15 somewhere okay now. so explain to the average voter how the raleigh mayoral uh city running business okay. works because it's it's a a weak mayor, strong city manager role. Well, which... we don't call it that. We call. <laughs> well, what do you call it? It's technically called a council manager form of government. So. But but when I when I said weak mayor, strong. As opposed to a strong mayor that's system, like, yeah. That's acceptable in certain circles to say something like that. Yeah, some circles. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, think of it like an an, an organization of a business. The city council is like the board. We make policy. The city manager is like the CEO. He enacts the policy. So we make the policy. We have three people that report to us, the city clerk, the city attorney, and the city manager. And all of the employees fall under one of those three organizations. So in some cities, like New York City, where you have a strong mayor system. Chicago. Okay. (laughs) A, A strong mayor system. This, the often the mayor is like the city manager, and those department heads report to the mayor. I mean, I think in a lot of big cities they still have a city manager, but that's not the way the sort of the rules are made. But why not have a full time mayor? Well, you could we could still have a full time mayor and still have a council manager form of government, and some cities do. It's just that we like Memf- like a comparable city to us. Like uh, I mean, Atlanta. I don't know if it's a comparable city, but like. Of, of well, I mean, 400... Richmond, Virginia, the, the Richmond. M- mayor makes not like two hundred. So the mayor is a full time city employee that's expected to. Right, but that, but, but even in Richmond, they still have a city manager that helps navigate anything. Um, you know, it's <laughs> Raleigh. Sometimes it's kind of like we're we're now a large mid sized city. And we're getting ready to take that step to a small, large city. And that's really uncomfortable for a lot of people. They don't see Raleigh as a large. They associate large cities with New York or Chicago or Atlanta, and that's not us. So I think that that's sort of this, are we going to have a full-time mayor? Are we going to do, you know, change a lot of these things we've always had a lot of people struggle with? Uh, in in light of the fact that Raleigh is becoming a, a big city, urban sprawl is huge in this area. Uh, do you, do you see it as a problem? Do you think that that needs to be addressed? Well, we um, I would say we are the city is sprawling less. The you know we're really kind of bound on the top by the watershed. We cannot expand into the watershed. Um, we also the legislature changed the rules last year before last. I guess that we cannot annex outside our limits the only time it can annex is if it is a petition to us to be annexed so um our comprehensive plan is really driving development 2030 comprehensive plan yes okay and it's driving development into denser nodes that can be connected by transit so the the idea i have and my peers have for raleigh is it for for it to be walkable, well, yeah, that's... and accessible, and uh, being able to ditch the car. Well, now, and I know, I know. Um, I mean, I'm I was accustomed to that growing up in a city like Chicago, and I understand the 
um, the the balance and the tightrope that that you as a mayor and policymakers have to walk between development and preservation of historical areas and um, gentrification and there's so many concerns. But I just want to. I live six miles down the road. I want to be able to take a bus downtown and hang out or here and hang out without having to worry about parking. And I have a subsidized go pass, and I and it would still take me three hours to do that well and that's what we've been working on for eight six eight however many years um you know it's exactly what you said i mean the world is urbanizing you know it's your generation and then my generation aging and they're not going to be able to drive so the really the demand for a walkable accessible community is there i mean we're feeling it now but that's where we're going to you still People are always going to want choices, so you have to consider that. But, um, you know, it, we have been working on this Wake County transit plan. It's sort of back to this state. We're in a Dillon state as opposed to a home rule state, so that we only have the authority the state gives us. We cannot enable taxes, or we cannot do a lot of things unless the state gives us that authority. So. Oh, so you you have so it's not politically feasible to be doing business with the general assembly right now to get exactly to achieve the vision that that you or the council has is that what it is? Well, we had you know they gave us the enabling legislation years ago to do the tri- it was the Triangle Transit Authority and it was Durham, Orange, and Wake County. Only they each had to pass their own referendum. We had a light rail system. We had it all tying the triangle together. Durham and Orange passed their referendum right away to enact a half-cent sales tax. Wake County sat on it and didn't bring it up and didn't bring it up. And by the time it was able to get it to a referendum, the legislature had removed our ability to have light rail. So now we have bus, bus rapid transit, commuter rail, and we it's still important, that whole triangle. But it just passed last November. It takes 18 months to order a bus. So, but that, you know, it's getting those 15-minute connections. It's getting you so you can get where you need to go and don't have to take three hours. It's having bus shelters that you can wait not to stay in the rain. I mean, it's all those pieces. We're Environmentally friendly buses? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, so, I mean, uh, well, you had you had a – just jump in here and get down on that because I, I, uh, I had a question too, okay. but I want – so uh, the referendum that passed in November, uh, what, are, what is the outlook on that? Is that is that going to come into effect over the next five, ten years? Right. Um, well, so that half cent sales tax was passed and we immediately started the plan and an order will take, like I said, takes 18 months to get a bus. So 18 months, probably nine more months before we actually see more buses. But what we're doing is really planning out those routes and we're planning out these bus rapid transit lines which kind of looks like a light rail but it's a rubber tire system so part of the complicating piece of it is you know you almost for brt especially you have to have dedicated lanes because people aren't going to get use the bus if they're sitting in traffic with everybody else i mean the point of the bus is to get there faster and easier and have it be something that people want to use so there's a lot of there's construction that goes along with it i mean there's multiple pieces but really building out that comprehensive easily accessed easily usable bus system is the first step 
So it involves widening roads so that the buses can have their own lanes. Are you going for the BRT? Not all buses. Not all buses. The, the bus for, rapid transit, which okay. is like the main corridors. Um, but you're you're going to a corridor type system. Well, I th- think for BRT, I mean, they're still looking. You know, on forty, they do a bus on shoulder thing right now, where they'll ride the buses on the shoulder. Yeah. I've never seen that. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, Sounds a little sketchy me. to me. <laughs> uh, so they're not sitting in the. Gridlock on 40, and obviously it wasn't built that way, so it has to kind of run for it. So the light rail connectivity uh, across the triangle seems to be unfeasible at this point. Do you do you foresee an integration with the adjacent counties for transit uh, when this referendum goes through? Well, the um, so Orange and Durham have already passed theirs, and they're already working on a light rail project, which is past the environmental stage was sent to Washington, and there's so many different phases. They did make it through, like, the preliminary acceptance stage for the light rail. What we have is a commuter rail, which runs on the existing tracks, and that would connect the Durham light rail station to our union station. Um, So it it is a rail connection. Uh, You know, light rail is very expensive, (laughs) and it's usually used more where there are multiple stops close together. So I I don't really know about, you know, this is the problem. So much of it is dependent on federal and state funding and things change every year. And it, you know, you know, government takes forever (laughs) sometimes. But um, I, I would just say that we always are, you know, we're always open to the latest and best and upgrading things as we have to but right now we know the funding stream we have and we're making a plan with the funding stream that we anticipate a lot of tech companies have come here since oh banking uh yeah. land uh well we have land banks yeah land banking. over what, in what is... um college park which is over named near st augs as properties were a lot you know torn down or for whatever reason, we ended up banking about 140 single, like, lots. And so we uh, worked with the neighborhood, and we are doing a redevelopment in that area. Some are single-family homes, some are townhouses, but they're all affordable. They're all, the single-family homes are about 160 to $190,000, and we are trying to give the people that live in that area that are longtime African-American families, many of them that, you know, have been part of the community for a long time, sort of a, you know, first jump if you want to get back in and stay in this community. Maybe your, you know, mother lives next door. You want to be still be in that neighborhood trying to help people stay in that area, but they're obviously open to everybody. So from land banking-wise, we do that. If you look at some of the buildings we own downtown, we own a, a building uh, on Fayetteville Street. We own property on Martin Street. And we have employees all over the city. That's one of the reasons we're looking at consolidating all of them in a new city hall. And then we'll sell those properties. And that new city hall block would be mixed use. It would be retail or something on the bottom floor. It would have city offices. It might have office or whatever. But what we have found is rather than us converting a building to affordable housing or even tearing it down and building it, 
we work with partners in the affordable housing arena like DHIC or there's some other ones. If I if we give them a million dollars, they can take that and leverage it multiple times over. They can get matching federal grants. They can get private grants. They work they can get um affordable housing tax credits from the state. And then our million dollars becomes, you know, twelve million dollars and they're really able to do projects that we couldn't just do. I mean, we are not landlords, but we work with all these other partners to get these projects done. So is uh, the collaboration with the private sector pervasive oh, in other areas than just affordable housing? Yeah. I mean, we have, I think probably you see it the most on a lot of the boards and commissions we have. I mean, we have the planning commission, which is all volunteers. Um we certainly work with, I mean, it's obviously it's bluegrass this weekend, and so we work with private companies that come in and help sponsor things. I just uh, have been working for about a year and a half on this project that is opening in southeast Raleigh, and it's a building that was empty for a couple of years. It's reopened as a pathway center. I was contacted by the uh, Obama White House uh, asking Raleigh to apply for a tech hire designation. And tech hire is a program they were running to work up programs to help people sort of the usually between 18 and 25, offer, oftentimes African-American, lower income, that cannot get in the job market. I mean, either they don't have a GED or they graduated and they don't have the skills they need. And it's sort of like if you don't have a chance to be in that market for any, you know, well, what's your job experience? I don't have any. Well, you can't get a job without job experience. You can't get job experience if you can't get a job. So what this center does is we have multiple partners. We partnered with Capital Area Workforce, who does a lot of identification of people, but they do a lot of soft skills training. Here's how you dress. Here's how you interview. Here's how you, you know, build a right a resume. Here's how you look somebody in the eye and all those Things that go into that. Wake Tech is helping to teach. It's a very introductory IT course. Um, 12 weeks. It's an industry-recognized certificate. And then we have businesses that will, you know, they're doing internships. They're going to send people and mentor. Um, a whole host of things to get people in to actually experience the workforce. So then we're working to really help guide people to what's their next step. I mean, help them find a job with that if that's what they want. Lead them into different pathways in Wake Tech. Maybe you hated it and you want to be an electrician, but you still got to run a computer, be able to read your plans. Wake Tech's a great place. It is. It's really great, and they're being a great partner on this. So we're put, sounds like a good plan. Yeah, we're putting a GED class in there. We put our summer youth employment program, which has expanded in there. So it really is going to be a physical place that's all about help, helping people enter the job market. Do I want to talk about two more things? Here? Okay. Do I want to talk about two more things here? Um, I think your, your, uh, your legacy is going to be Dorothea Dix. And I want you to discuss how you were able to negotiate the purchase of that land, what it was like. It, it, I, I don't, I can only imagine, I can, I can only imagine that, uh, it was like, um, sitting in the boardroom of a large merger and acquisition. So, um, it's, um, it's, but it is, that's your so, passion project, you know, right? When I got okay. on the council in 2007, 
Um, I think it might have already been closed. I can't remember what year they closed it, but it was before we, we either knew they were closing it as a mental health facility or it had been closed. And the mayor before me, Charles Meeker, had started, you know, talking to the state and they had come up with a big master plan that had an aquarium and all these other things on it. And, but they really were going to develop the property. And so I got involved right when I got on the council. And then when I became mayor, we were really working with, it was an interesting, there was a group of private citizens we called the Dick's Park Visionaries that were incredibly helpful. Um, Beverly Purdue was the governor at the time. And we were trying, we wanted to buy the property. But there is a process, of course, because it's government. <laughs> and we, even and if she, yeah, so, well, yeah. And you so were new even if she had in politics. Um, said, yes, I'm going to give it to you, which is kind of what we talked about. For her to do that, you know, there were hoops she had to set through. She had to get it through the council estate. The council estate had to be notified. I think it was 30 days before their meeting. They only met every other month. You know, I'm coming into this in January, and we know she's, the election's in the fall. So it's, you know, we're... We're trying to move it. We're trying to figure out if, you know, if we buy it. And then she wants to. Do, and, and so it ended. We ended up with a ground lease on like December 30th. I mean, it was and it was like a dollar a year for 99 years. And so we signed the lease. We were in the Capitol building. It was all, you know, it's awesome. We had the seal, North Carolina seal on it. And she had um, and Pat McCrory had won. So he was going to be governor in January. And then when the legislature came into session, they said that they said the lease was not valid. Well, valid us. And as far as I was concerned, it was valid. And they felt that we had, that it was worth more than that. We shouldn't have been able to lease it for a dollar a year. Even though we had all the math that showed what the return on, if, you know, we were the ones that were going to make it into a park. We were the ones that were going to spend the money, the city. But the development around it and what it brings to a city, the return on investment to the state was just going to be phenomenal. Taxes. So, so the, the governor and so, so the, the governor and so the general assembly general said assembly the lease was not uh, blocked. Yeah. So they. Tried to interference. the lease, and so I was working with the governor, and we convinced them to put that um, legislature on hold while we continued to talk it out. So then we had a discussion about us purchasing it, and we had, you know, there were three appraisals for 30-some and one for eight, I mean, 80, you know, it was back. $30 Yeah. $30 million? No. No, no. Well, okay. because That's then they had an appraisal for 80 so, I mean, okay. there were lots of different, you know, there was, there's a landfill there. We were having a hard time getting in the buildings because everything's full. It's part NC State land, too. Well, right. Spring Hill is on the top. It's part right. NC so, State land, too, right? I'll just say it took multiple <laughs> conversations, but we finally agreed on a, a price of $52 million. We agreed that DHHS could stay there for... So the, there, there's a railroad that cuts the property in half. One half they can stay on for, well, it was 10 years. Now it's down to eight. The other, where they really have three working buildings, we said 25. But they'll when they move off, um, I, from what I hear, they're planning to move everything off. 
Um, so, I mean, we've, we finally got that nailed down, which was probably better for us. Now we own it, and, you know, they have the right to lease from us. Oh, for a dollar. <laughs> but um, so in now that we're starting the planning process, it's really about looking at the buildings that are there. What can we save? What is worth rehabbing? What really needs to go? Because some of them are. And then how will those integrate into what the park is? Well, I'll just say that one person. In dilapidated condition. Ceiling onto their desk. Okay, so you know. That um, happens at my house. Some of the buildings the time. have been boarded up for years, uh, forty years, and they've never done anything to them. But you, you, we know they're all full of asbestos and lead paint, and so it, whether you tear it down or rehab it, you've got remediation issues, and that was a lot of what we were trying to work out. You know, just how much is all that going to be? So, yeah, NC State and the Department of Agriculture, because the state farmers market's right there. So we've got great partners, and because what is happening, you know, people. The world is urbanizing. People are moving to cities. Land becomes more expensive and more valuable. And that's why we are doing a lot of the things we're doing to try and make sure there is affordable housing. And it's really, you know, people, yeah, and job development on many levels. I mean, not everything is a $100,000 a year job. So, um you know, it, it is a thing that we're very mindful of, and that's why we have programs to help people stay in their homes and try to keep neighborhoods intact. Uh, it's, you know, I can't change the market, but I can work on our piece of it. When I had my first apartment here, mm-hmm. we had not, here in the Triangle area, gotten hit too hard by the by the collapse, um, the housing collapse. Huge uh, luxury apartments come in um that lined that area mm-hmm. and it's it's past north hills but yeah. it's you know you're familiar with the area so like the development seems to be trending towards these high-end um uh units that are i mean they're, they're kind of superficial uh, but the the rent the rent for these uh units are like sixteen hundred dollars what do we do about that? Well, it, you know, and, and, and I think that affordable housing. What do we do about that? Well, it, you know, and it, it's. I think that affordable housing means different things to different people. And I think people have to understand is the county typically focuses on housing for those people closest to the services they provide. They are human services, health and welfare. They are the ones that provide housing for people with no income or disability. That We look more at work what you think of workforce housing, people that are working, but they can't afford to live here because everything has gotten so expensive and it's people 30 percent to 60 percent of that median income so i i think about it all as housing affordability you know it's no matter where you are it's getting expensive to live here so we do you know the programs i was talking about earlier are sort of in one area 
this city council, last year we decided that this is a priority. We're, we're seeing it. So we took a penny of the property tax and we dedicated it to affordable housing. So we would have a consistent uh, funding stream. So it's $6 million the first year because it's tied to the tax base. That means it's going to grow every year. Um, we do work with those partners, like I mentioned, to do apartments uh, all over the city. Uh, it's really important, though, to me that they be tied into transit because if it's just because your apartment might be affordable, if you have to have a car, you know, if you can get where you need to go and don't have to pay for a car and insurance and, and gas, that's a key piece of it. So it's multiple things besides the price of the unit. So this, okay, so these are the issues that are most important to you. Yeah. What are the top three issues that are most important to you? Just one more time, very quickly, like a like a bullet point. Three times as mayor, twice as city council. So this is my fourth time as mayor. Okay. So these are the issues that mm-hmm. are most important to you. Yep. What yes. are the top three issues that are most important to you? Just one more time. Very quickly, like a, like a bullet point. I would say um, transportation and all of those things that that entails. Um, uh, housing affordability in the region. Um you know, it, it's it, to me, it, it's it, the whole uh, envelope of economic development and jobs. I mean, I see Dix as part of that because of the economic development that's going to bring just where we go and and attracting jobs. And it really is about building a place people want to live. That's really fundamentally about maintaining the character and build. Obviously, we must have done something right because everybody's moving here. So, uh, you know. This is a different age. You don't always just bring the big company and then everybody moves. People decide where they want to live, and then they figure out what they're going to do. And that's what why quality of life and building a place like we have is so important. So Thank you so much for your time, Mayor McFarlane. Really. If you'd like to read more about Nancy McFarlane and her views, you can go to ncvoterguide.org slash Raleigh slash mayor slash index dot PHP or Nancy McFarlane's website at nancymcfarlane.com.